0: Of the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills, the fruit of righteousness. May he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. May he endure as long as the sun, as long as the moon. Through all generations. May he be like rain falling on a mown field, like showers watering the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and prosperity abound till the moon is no more. May he rule from sea to sea and from the river and to the ends of the earth. May the desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him gifts. May all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. For he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence for precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold from Sheba be given him. May people ever pray for him and bless him all day long. May grain abound throughout the land on the tops of the hills. May it sway. May the crops flourish like Lebanon and thrive like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever, may it continue as long as the sun. Then all nations will be blessed through him, and they will call him blessed. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvellous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever, may the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Thanks, Carl.
1: Thanks, Chris. Well, I have to say it was a, uh, it was a close-run thing uh, whether I would make it today. I had an accident uh, yesterday making breakfast. I, um, I sliced my finger open on a piece of toast. Who ever knew that that was possible? Gosh. It's like a paper cut. It was so painful. So if you're wondering what happened, that's... uh... (laughs) Okay, sorry. Gosh. Um, Well, uh, more seriously, uh, today is is the last day of the year, but today is the the first day of a series that we're starting today on uh, the Book of Psalms. Uh, Last year we spent summer in the Psalms and uh, this summer, we're spending summer in the Psalms as well, and I don't know about you, but I just love the Psalms. Uh, I, if you don't know what else you can open the Bible and read on any given day, you can always just open, flip open the Bible to a Psalm and read that and be encouraged by that uh, or cha- challenged by that. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, the Psalms are uh, kind of in the middle of uh, of the Bible, and They're the songs and the prayers uh, of the Bible. Something I read the other day put it like this, while much of the Bible is God speaking to us, the Psalms are the words of God's people speaking to him. Uh, In other words, the Psalms, uh, in the Psalms, God shows us what it means to relate to him amid all the difficulties uh, and challenges uh, of life. So let's, uh, let's pray that God would do that uh, in the next five weeks and, uh, and as we dig into Psalm 72 uh, now. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace to us uh, in giving us not only uh, words which tell us about you, but even words, Lord, which tell us how we can relate to you. Uh, words which you put into our mouths, which tell us how we can pray to you, how we can cry out to you, how we can express our sorrow and our grief and our sadness and our hopes and our joys and our trust in you. And Lord, we pray that as we dig into the Psalms over the next five weeks that you would help us to learn more about you and to learn more about ourselves and to learn more about how we can relate to you properly. And Lord, we pray that this morning as we dig into Psalm 72 that you would help us to do that and help us to see what your vision and promise for the world is. Uh, We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, a few months ago, uh, the Museum of Australian Democracy, who knew we had a Museum of Australian Democracy, but it's housed in the old Parliament House in Canberra, the Museum of Australian Democracy and the University of Canberra jointly published the results of a survey into the satisfaction uh, of Australians with our democratic system. The numbers were deeply troubling. They showed a precipitous decline in people's confidence in our political system over the last 10 years. So in 2007, 86% of voters surveyed were happy with our democracy. Uh, In 2010, that number had dropped to 72%. By 2018, that number had dropped to 41%. Uh, And more worrying, those numbers were recorded before the last leadership coup in September. In other words, the satisfaction of Australians with our political system has halved within a decade. The Museum of Australian Democracy noted that on current trend, if you can trust that, on current trend, in seven years, fewer than 10% of Australians will be happy uh, or confident in our political system. And although we in Australia seem to be particularly unhappy with our democracy, the problem is actually quite widespread. Uh, across the globe, people are unhappy with their democratic systems. A few years ago, The Economist magazine published a special edition focused on the problems facing global democracy. People across the globe are longing for better governments. And whether that's because they're in democracies and they feel that they're not being well-representative and those democracies are failing, or whether it's because they're living under brutal and corrupt dictatorships or whether it's because their, world, their, their country is rent by civil war. Whatever the reason, people are starving for good governments, for good leadership. Because it's only under that good leadership that society and people can flourish. And Psalm 72 is all about that. It's a prayer for good government. It's a great way, isn't it, to think about the year ahead with a prayer for good government not just for ourselves, but for the world. And so what I want to do this morning is to walk through this psalm and I want to see both the desire that stands at the heart of this psalm and I want to also unpack for us how that desire echoes in our own hearts. Uh, And then I want to step back finally from, from all that, from the hope, from the desire, and see how this Uh, This psalm fits within the storyline of the Bible uh, and the storyline of our world. Well, in trying to come to grips with this psalm, there's a few things we need to know to make sense of it. First, we need to know that it's a prayer. It's filled with requests to God. Verse 1, endow the king with your justice, O God. That's a prayer. And then the rest of the psalm is full of maize. I don't mean uh, kind of corn corn products or something like that. Uh, maize, M-A-Y-S, this psalm is full of maize. There's 21 maize in the whole psalm. Verse 2, may he judge your people in righteousness. Verse 3, may the mountains bring prosperity to the world. Verse 4, may he defend the afflicted among the people. This psalm is a prayer. But who is praying the prayer? The last verse tells us, verse 20, this concludes the prayers of David, son of Jesse. Uh, This is, if you like, the last prayer of David. Well, uh, there are other prayers of David later in the psalm, but that's... uh, this is, uh, if you like, David's prayer that he's praying at the end of his life. And who is he praying it for? Well, the title tells us. So uh, if you have a Bible, if you look right at the very top, uh, there's some little words there. And the little words say, of Solomon. In the Psalms, there's a number of those little titles scattered, scattered around. Those are original words from the Bible. Uh, you'll find in other parts of the Bible you often have headings uh, in bold and so on that are at the beginning of chapters and those have been edited by, added by Bible editors in our day to help us understand what's going on. But those titles in the Psalms are original. This is a Psalm uh, prayed by David of Solomon or about Solomon, uh, uh, for Solomon. So David's not praying for himself, he's praying for his son, And what is he praying about? He's praying about his kingship, his rule. So this is the setting of this psalm. It's David, the king, God's God's chosen king, the king of his people, at the end of his reign, praying for his son Solomon and praying about what kind of king he would be and what kind of rule and what kind of reign he would have. So let's work through the things then that David prays for his son Solomon. First of all, he prays for justice. Verse 1 and 2. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones, with justice. David wants his son to be able to dispense justice. He wants, in other words, his son to be able to judge the guilty and to protect and acquit the innocent. Over the past year, we've had the Banking Royal Commission Uh, investigating the misconduct of banks and other financial institutions, Uh, and it's been truly disturbing, I think, to see every day, more or less every day that the the Commission's been sitting, to see more or less every day the unjust uh, and deceitful practices of vast numbers of people. People have lost homes, people have have been uh, uh, diddled uh, and, uh, and robbed by banks, but one of the uh, criticisms of the uh, Banking Royal Commission is that it has it's sat for a year but it's actually heard from only a handful of victims. Uh, only a handful of victims have actually appeared uh, in, in, in person in the hearings to tell their story. It's a criticism because people want their story to be told and people want their story of injustice to be heard They don't want people just to hear about the general injustice of the banking system. They want people to hear about what has happened to them. I've lost my house. My father lost his retirement savings. People want others to hear about their own injustices, and they want those injustices, their injustices, to be set right. And yet, despite a year and despite uh, all those hearings and uh, despite the shameful things that have been uncovered, it's galling to think that at the end of this whole process, while there might be reforms to the banking sector and fines for large companies, many of the people who have perpetrated these crimes or who are complicit in the injustices, most of those people will get away scot-free. Banks will pay large fines and that will be it. The executives who... who, uh, Who earned millions of dollars overseeing corrupt organisations will hang on to their executive pay packets. That is not justice. It might be a correction, but it's not justice. It's not even close. Or consider another case. Uh, A week or so ago was the 30th anniversary of the Lockerbie bombing. 30 years ago, a Pan Am flight was brought down over the town of Lockerbie in Scotland when a bomb hidden in the cargo hold exploded. 259 people were killed, both in the aircraft and on the ground, but only one man was ever brought to justice, and that after a long period of time. Uh, The Libyan government eventually paid compensation, though never admitted responsibility, but there were always claims that the attack was state-sponsored And that ultimately, the attack had been ordered by the then-Libyan leader, Muammar Gaddafi. Uh, One of the fathers of the victims said in an interview at the 30th anniversary last week that he wanted an inquiry to be held, to get to the bottom of who was responsible. Because he felt that 30 years later, there still were people who needed to be held to account. There still hadn't been justice And it's not just him. Every week there's a call for a new inquiry into something. Into banks, into the building sector, into parliamentary expenses, into the police, a new coronial inquest, the reopening of some uh, case which hasn't been solved. We want the truth. But sometimes the reality is we can't get the truth. No king, no court, no government can uncover the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Sometimes it's too long ago. Sometimes there isn't the evidence that's needed. Sometimes there isn't sufficient evidence. Sometimes there's enough evidence so that we know that somebody's guilty, but not enough evidence for someone to be convicted in a court of law. Sometimes there's conflicting witness statements. Sometimes there's a statute of limitations. And sometimes the crime happens in another country, in another jurisdiction. And there's no extradition treaty. And so we hear news of the person that everyone knows is guilty swanning around in freedom in another country. And it angers us. And rightly so because we long for justice. And David is praying for a king who would bring justice. Next he prays for peace and prosperity. Look at verse 3. May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills the fruit of righteousness. The term prosperity there means more than just money, it means more than just being rich, it means peace and well-being and success in everyday ventures. It's a bit like the tree of Psalm 1, planted by streams of water, yielding its fruit in season, whose leaf doesn't wither and which prospers in everything that it does. David prays for a ruler who will bring that kind of situation about, a king under whose reign the people will prosper and have peace. Despite our cynicism about our politicians, I think it's probably still fair to say that many of them want our country and the people who live in it, us, to prosper. They're in in politics because they want our our country to be governed well and they want people to to prosper and to have a a good life. And yet despite that aim, it's an almost impossible task. Uh, Governments can't control the weather and so they can't control food production. They can't stop a drought. They can't make it rain. And if it's not drought that uh, they're trying to deal with its floods or storms. Last week, Queensland was battered by storms. Uh, last week, too, some places in Sydney were battered by hailstones the size of golf balls. Last Saturday, Indonesia suffered uh, the second major tsunami in a year. Who can stop that? Who, what government can guarantee peace and prosperity in the face of those environmental forces? But the problem is not just environmental. Uh, governments and leaders are subject to world forces as well. Uh, I don't know if you pay any attention to the, you know, the financial section of the news the news bulletin. Uh, does anyone actually watch the news on television anymore apart from me? But, um, but, but what, what you see is if the American stock market rises, our stock market rises. When the American stock market falls, our stock market falls. If China decides to stop buying Australian goods, our, stock, our, our economy falls to pieces. Our government can't control uh, what happens financially in our, in our country. Uh, it's hard to describe, I think, just how vulnerable we are to things which are beyond, not just beyond our power as individuals, but beyond our power as, as a country, beyond the power of our government. Uh, one of the most fascinating examples, I think, is the Arab oil embargo. of uh, of the 70s, which crippled America. Uh, We rely, you and I rely on petrol every day. But in the 1970s, a number of the Arab uh, oil-producing companies decided to stop supplying the US and Netherlands uh, with with oil uh, because they didn't agree with uh, their involvement in a war. Uh, As a result of that, as a result of stopping uh, exporting oil to the US, not only did the price of oil skyrocket, but the US... Uh, had to impose fuel rationing and I love this reduce speed limits. You know, so imagine, imagine that trying to get to Hobart, you know, at 60 k's an hour. It's bad enough as it is at the moment. But we, we just take it for granted, don't we, that, that we have fuel today and that we will have fuel tomorrow. But there's not many oil wells in Australia. Uh, And there's not many oil refineries in Australia either. If the oil export uh, dries up because of war, because of a disagreement with governments, we're sunk. We don't realise how vulnerable we are. How much peace and prosperity of our nation and of our lives as individuals is dependent on forces far beyond our control. But imagine a ruler for whom that was not impossible. Imagine a ruler who could guarantee peace and prosperity. That's what David prays for. But he doesn't just pray for material prosperity. He also prays for righteousness and goodness. So look at uh, verse 3 again. Look at the second half. May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills the fruit of righteousness... Well, verse 7, In his days may, righteous, may the righteous flourish and prosperity abound to the moon, till the moon is no more. You get this picture that material prosperity and peace and security, that, that's impossible unless it goes hand in hand with righteousness and goodness. It's impossible for us to be like a tree planted by streams of water while the world is being torn apart by evil, I don't know if you saw recently the heartbreaking press conference uh, by the New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern. It was, uh, it was extraordinary. Actually, I think it was a, a tremendous thing what she did. Uh, but she was talking about a young tourist who was uh, attacked and murdered while on holidays in New Zealand. A horrible thing. Holding back tears, she said this. There is this overwhelming sense of hurt and shame that this happened in our country, a place that prides itself on our hospitality, especially to those who are visiting our shores. On behalf of New Zealand, I want to apologise to Grace's family. Your daughter was supposed to be safe here, and she wasn't, and I apologise for that. It's heartbreaking, isn't it? But you can see the problem that governments face that is they can't stop every evil and so they can't make us safe but that's what we want isn't it that's deep down that's what we want not even that deep we want to be able to walk the streets of melbourne and not have to worry about some psychopath in a car or some idiot running around with a knife we want to be able to visit a cafe and not have to think about the possibility of an armed siege we want to be able to walk the streets at night without having to look over our shoulder We want to be able to get on our plane without having to go through security, without having to think about who might have got through. David prays for a king who can do that, a king who can make righteousness flourish. And ultimately, that means a king who can make people good. So David prays for justice, he prays for peace and prosperity. Next he prays for compassion. Verse 4, may he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. Or verse 12 to 14, he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have none to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. David prays that this king might have a deep and abiding concern for those who are often trampled and overlooked. So often governments and rulers trample the needy in order to fatten themselves up. Uh, Around the world, dictators are robbing from their own citizens and amassing huge fortunes for themselves. Uh, A recent article I read noted how in 2014, South Sudan's warring leaders amassed a bill of over 20 million dollars uh, from international players as these as these warring leaders went to and fro from ex- between expensive hotels in Africa on the premise of negotiating peace, 20 million dollars in one year while many in their country were languishing in poverty and distress. Uh, but it 's not just dictators uh, our governments even frequently trample the needy. A number of years ago, one of our governments... I won't say which one, I'm not trying to be political. Uh, But one of our governments handed down a budget on the premise, a noble premise, I think, that everyone needed to help pay the way for the country's return to surplus. Yet inexplicably, when that budget was handed down, it seemed to punish low-income earners while leaving high-income earners inexplicably untouched. Even economists, hardly regular friends of the poor, thought it was bizarre and unbalanced. Cynics would suggest that's because the poor don't donate to political parties, whereas the rich do. Yet whatever the case, that explanation or another, whether it was corrupt or self-serving, it was at least a complete and utter abdication of their mandate from God to care for the needy. In God's eyes, governments are supposed to have compassion on those who need our help the most. But that problem is not just national, it's international, Around the world, governments are struggling to respond to various humanitarian crises. People are starving and dying because their countries are being torn apart by civil war. Others are fleeing, but have nowhere to go. And the international community, zealous as it may be, is incapable of solving the problem. The UN remains largely impotent, as it seems always to have been, and individual governments pursue their own strategic interests. All the while, the poor and the needy are the ones who are trampled in the dust by their oppressors. But David prays for a king who loves people, who cares for people, and who rescues them from their sorrow and oppression. Next, David prays that this king would rule over all. Verse 8, May he rule from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. May the devout tribes bow before him and the enemies. Uh, lick the dust. He prays that this king's rule would extend across the globe, that the people from the farthest reaches would come and submit to him that his enemies would be cowed and beaten. At one level, that kind of maybe sounds despotic, uh, you know, kind of a, a dictatorship, but it isn't. That's because this king is loved. So look at verses, nine, uh, verses 10 and 11. May the kings of Tarship Tarshish and of distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring him gifts. May all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. There are other kings. They're coming and they're bringing him gifts. People are serving him because, according to verse 12 and following, he cares for the needy and afflicted. People look at this king and they see him as a worthy king. He deserves honor. He deserves tribute. He deserves to be revered and esteemed. What makes a rule despotic, what makes it tyrannical, is not that only one person wields the power, but whether that person is good. The problem for us as human beings is that no human being can wield power and be good. Because, as the saying goes, all power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. But imagine if there was a king who could reign, who would always do what was good. A king that people would love and revere and willingly bow down to. David prays for that king. There are some who stand against this king still. And David prays that their opposition will be put down. Because unless everyone is subject to this king, there cannot be peace. There cannot be peace without the end of opposition. And so David prays that this king, who many love, would rule across the globe. Well, it's a great hope, isn't it? It's a great prayer to pray for a king who's just, who will bring prosperity, who can make people good, who, can, who cares for the weak, who's loved by everyone uh, and who rules over all. It's a great prayer, isn't it? And I think we should be praying those things for our leaders and not only for our leaders in our country, but for leaders across the world. Uh, we should pray that they will be just and wise, pray that they will bring peace and prosperity, pray that they'll have a positive moral effect on their citizens. Pray that they would care for the weak and protect them. Pray that uh, even that our leaders would be honoured and loved uh, and that their rule wouldn't be undermined by opposition. We should pray for that. And when we see those things, when we see the government doing good things, we should be thankful. Whatever the problems are in our own country... There's no denying that we're greatly blessed. There's no denying that most of us are prosperous and safe. Uh, There's no denying that many of the needy in our society are cared for to a great extent and to a much better degree than in many other countries. We're blessed and we should be thankful for that. Nevertheless, we also need to recognize that this prayer of David is too big. It's too big. It was too big for Solomon. And it's too big for any government. We see glimpses of, it, glimpses of it in Solomon's life. We see glimpses of extraordinary wisdom and justice, like that time when the two women come both claiming the same baby and he manages to get to the heart of the matter. He manages to work out who it is that the baby belongs to. He uses wisdom and justice. We see na- people from other nations coming to, to honor him. A at, at direct answer to this, this prayer, we see the Queen of Sheba coming. Sheba's mentioned in, in, uh, in, in one of the verses. The Queen of Sheba coming and paying tribute to Solomon. We see glimpses of greatness, but we also see his brittle weakness. He abuses women. He fills his house with wives and mistresses. They lead him to abandon God, and that ultimately leads to the downfall of the nation as a whole. And that's the storyline of the Bible. There, are, there is king after king after king, but no one fits the bill. And it's not just the storyline of the Bible, it's the storyline of, of, of the world. It's the storyline of Western democracy. It's the storyline of the Roman Empire. It's the storyline of brutal dictatorships. It's a storyline of our everyday experience, not just with governments, but with any authority. There's this gaping chasm between what we need and what they can actually deliver. We long for so much more, but no one can fulfill it. But what no human king can accomplish, Jesus can accomplish. Jesus is the ultimate answer to David's prayer. And he answers this prayer in a way that no human ruler ever can. That's because Jesus is a king, a human king. But not just a human king, he is God as well. And because he is God, this is so important, because he is God, he can rule in a way that no human king and no human government ever can. He can rule with absolute justice. He never judges incorrectly. He never gets it wrong. No one ever goes to court worrying, I wonder if you'll get this right. Will I be an innocent person convicted? Or will my will my attacker go away free? No, no one ever worries that. He always gets it right. No witness statements are ever needed because he knows. He's never caught in a bind because one witness says one thing while another witness says something else because he knows what happened. He doesn't need a court process to find the truth. He doesn't need barristers and solicitors. And no court of appeal is ever required to review his decisions because he always gets it right. There's never any unsolved cases because he always knows exactly what happened because he was there, and he saw it. There's no failures to prosecute due to a lack of evidence, because he judges on the basis of first-hand knowledge. He witnessed it. He knows. And what's more, because of the cross, he can maintain justice and grant forgiveness, because he died in the place of those who are unjust, those who trust in him, Escape the penalty of death that they deserve. His suffering pays for our injustice. And so we can be forgiven. Even in His mercy, He maintains His justice. He also brings peace and prosperity. He makes the rivers flow with abundance. He can bring the sun and the rain at exactly the right time. He can make the plants grow. He, he can even control the pests. so that they don't devour the crops. And he can even keep the pests alive so that they maintain exactly their ecological purpose for which they were created. He can make people good. That's because whenever a person turns to him, he pours out on them the promised Spirit of God. And through that Spirit of God, he unites that person with himself. And by uniting that person with himself, he makes them like him. More and more every day, and then one day, holy and blameless as he is. He always defends the cause of the needy. He's never flattered by the idea of gaining power. Instead, he willingly lays aside his rights in order to be counted among the needy and the afflicted. He enters the misery of our world, not simply to identify with it, but to destroy the misery He can't be bribed. He can't be corrupted. He can't be bought by the big end of town because there's nothing that they have that he needs. He is perfectly compassionate. He stoops down to the poor and needy and lifts them up and he breaks the power of the oppressors. And he reigns over all and one day he will be seen to reign over all. He can't help reigning over all because he's God. He can't help it. The world belongs to him. And while for a moment, at this present time, he lets people go on in their rebellion and their hatred, the day will come when he will put down those who live to destroy the peace of his kingdom. When that day comes, there will be peace once and for all, justice once and and for a righteousness once and for all. The mountains will give forth their fruit and the needy will be lifted up and God will reign in Jesus. Unlike David, we don't need to pray for a king like that because he exists. He exists in the person of Jesus Christ, God the Son. And if there's a prayer for us to pray... It's the prayer that we would know that king more and more and long for that king more and more and trust that king more and more and that others would know that king and that hope as well. I think as we look across the landscape of our world, there's so little hope but so much longing. So many people across the world longing for something better than what they've got. For governments better than they have and we have the answer in the person of jesus christ and our prayer for this year ought to be that more and more people would see that and trust that savior and king jesus christ let's pray dear lord and heavenly father our world is starved for hope But there is hope in you, and we thank you so much for that. Uh, Lord, there are so many people cast into despair by the situation in which they find themselves, by uh, the corruption of governments, by the indolence and the uh, the injustice uh, of their leaders. Uh, And Lord, we mourn with those people for what they're suffering. Uh, Lord, we mourn with those whose countries are rent by civil war, Lord, we mourn with those who have had to flee their homeland and their, and their homes and everything that they have and the people that they know in order to find security. Uh, Lord, we mourn with those who are starving uh, because of um, the situation in their own countries. And Lord, we mourn even with those here who have been overlooked by society, who have been crushed by injustice, And yet, Lord, we hope uh, because of the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, what a wonderful thing it is to know that this uh, this misery is not intractable, it's not impossible uh, to break, but that Jesus Christ is the Saviour and King who can redeem and restore our world. And so, Lord, we pray that you would set that hope in our hearts, that no matter what we face this year, no matter what our country faces, no matter what the world faces, that we would have absolute rock-solid confidence in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that you would help us, flowing out of that confidence, to speak into our world of a better hope, a better hope than the United Nations, and a better hope than a new government, and a better hope than a new political party, a hope in Jesus Christ, the Saviour and God of our universe. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.